One man, one mission, to equip the Church of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and awaken the Church to the voice of the Spirit. David Cuppet brings to you the School of the Holy Spirit from one of his many missions from around the world, where he aligns with apostolic leaders to eradicate spiritual blindness and reveal the true authority of believers in Christ, to prophesy, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. Open your heart and get ready to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for you in this week's session of the School of the Holy Spirit. School is in session. When Jesus turned the water into wine, you know, the concept of that is the empty pot had to be filled with water. And then Jesus himself, the Word, turned it into wine. He made the water intoxicating. He made the water intoxicating. There was, <clears throat> there was some stuff, uh, some scripture and different things referenced in, in the intercession room before we started. And there was a theme about the water. And I just want to connect the dots with the water. Um, there's, there's a scripture in 1 John 5, verse 7 and 8. It says, These three agree in heaven... The Father, the Word, and the Spirit. These three things agree on earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. So the concept in heaven is Jesus is known as the Word in heaven. On earth, He's the water. He's what refreshes. Jesus Himself is the only thing that can refresh you. And if you stay connected to Him long enough, He makes you intoxicated. He, he makes you contagious. He makes you intoxicating. Right? So your issue is not the enemy or anything the enemy is doing. Your issue is staying connected with the water. The, the water, if you, if you drink enough water, you become intoxicated. Right? So, you know, this whole, this whole weekend is about this theme of Jesus, this living God, the real God, coming and speaking to you. And you holding on to what He says. And what He says brings life to you. And that's in contrast to what is written. Okay? The, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees made what was written, um, they, they, they made it their God in a way that, where there was no life in it. Even though it was breathed Scripture, they did it without the Spirit. And they self-identified a bunch of conditions in the Bible and they felt that if they met those conditions, they were meeting God's intent. And that wasn't God's intent. The Father's intent was that you would dwell in His heart. You would know Him. And He then brings life. Right? So, there's a scripture in uh, John 5, 39 and, and 40, where Jesus actually reveals that the essence of this concept where there's people that read the Bible and don't get me wrong. The Bible's not a bad thing. The Bible is, um, is a, his established word, but the way you view the Bible, you can actually make the Bible a, a philosophy book. I was sitting at my desk one day at work about six or seven years ago. And the Lord, uh, asked me a question. He says, can my Bible be philosophy? And I went, that messed me up. Because I grew up thinking that the Bible 
was essentially God. And that's not really true. The Bible was a guidance document. The Bible itself is a love letter that's meant to identify in you that you need a Savior. That you need to know this living God. And so you, without the Spirit of God, can make what is written something that actually fossilizes you. It actually hardens your heart if you refuse to acknowledge you need this living God. Jesus, when, when Jesus came in John 5.39, He's in this uh, discussion with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he, he says this in, in uh, verse 39. He says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of Me, but you are not willing to come to Me that you may have life. That'll mess you up. If you, if you have this self-defining religion that says, if I just read my Bible, I'm okay, you missed the boat. Because the Bible is supposed to uh, bring something of an awareness that says, oh my goodness, I need this living God. I need, I need the, the real Jesus. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. How many, how many of you face your daily problems in a manner where, well, I'll just have to push through that. I'll just have to, you know, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. And then, and then you fall into these mindsets and these traps of, of accepting doubt and unbelief and fear. And the reality is, that's the, that's the approach that brings death. The letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. So if you're not in life, there's, there's an element there where it should trigger, I need Jesus. I need the living God. I want to see the living God. I want to drink of the waters of life. Right? So, this contrast is not a small thing. This contrast between what is living and what is dead is the essence of are you alive in Christ or are you dead in the letter of the law? The Pharisee was a dead man. Jesus actually called them walking sepulchers, whitewashed tombs, snakes, hogs, dogs. He called them everything filled with their father, the devil, right? They held on to the written word. They made the written word their God, but they didn't know the living God. And therefore, Jesus identified them for what they were. Dead men, whitewashed tombs, filled with, he called them vipers. Jesus called the men who were supposed to be the leaders of the synagogue, the leaders of that day's modern church, he called them vipers because they didn't know him. They self-defined a bunch of rules and conditions in a book and forced the people to follow suit. Right? So the contrast is huge. It's the same Bible, but two, two, two gods, two different gods. Right? So, the emphasis here is, can you recognize the contrast? Can you recognize when you are in life or are you in death? Life and, life and death are, are uh, two very opposing things. Life in the Spirit includes peace and hope and love and things that are described as elements or, or the nature of God. Right? Whereas the, the, the nature of death is fear, hurt, anger, 
bitterness, unbelief, all those things that are bound up in, in the Word that doesn't have life. Okay? So the Word is actually supposed to drive you to fall on your knees and to begin to cry out for this water that washes. This water that gives life. So, when you position yourself in your daily walk, how do you approach this living God? Do you approach Him in a way that I'm going to sit down and read my Bible because my pastor told me to read my Bible and it's the right thing to do, so I'm going to read three chapters today and I've, I've achieved what I was supposed to do. I've met the condition and I'm going on. I'm going after that. On, after that 15 minutes, I'm done. Or do you sit down with Jesus and you begin to pray the way He uh, released the Spirit on earth and said, I'll give you the power to speak in a supernatural language and it'll draw on my heart and it, it, it will allow you to break through the, the darkness. There, there will be no darkness that will be able to keep me from your heart and I will come and strengthen you. I'll, I'll fill you with this living water. And as you drink and drink and drink this living water, you will become intoxicated. Amen? See, that Bible was not meant to be your God. And we live in a region of the world where this, this region is a lot like modern day, or, or, or Greece was back, in, back 2,000, 3,000 years ago, where the philosophers and the influence of philosophy and, and how the Pharisee essentially made what was written a philosophy. Philosophy doesn't save you. Philosophy kills you. Can the Bible be philosophy is the question he asked me. Can it be philosophy? And the answer is yes. What he put on paper is you personally can make it philosophy. So, is there anybody in here fossilized? <laughs> Have you been fossilized by the Scripture? Made hard? You know, the Bible, the, the Bible itself, if you read the Bible without the Spirit, it's actually designed to make you hard. It's actually designed to make you so hard that your life becomes so miserable that you fall on your face eventually and you begin to cry out, I need you, Jesus. If you're real Jesus, I need you. I need this living God because what I perceive to be something, I don't know what it is on paper, they say it's your word, and maybe I've made it a God, but my life so, is so miserable, boom, fall on your face, and you begin to cry out, Jesus, if you're real, if you're real, please come. And that's the process by which we go from revelation to revelation and recognize that He alone is the giver of life. I alone can do nothing. Me, personally, I cannot do anything that brings life without Jesus Christ. Is, that ring, is it ringing home with, with, with you guys? Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the fact that um, you know, sometimes we get into ruts and you can fall into weeks, months, and years where you think you're being spiritual, but you're actually being religious. But I'm a Christian. Why does it stink right now? Why is, is there so much hurt right now? Why, is there, why don't I have life? Why can't I hear Jesus? These, all, all these crazy people at the well are talking about dreams and visions and, 
And why can't, why don't I hear in dreams and visions? Because until we fall on our face day after day after day in complete awe that this living God would love me and He'll come and speak to me and He'll truly pour out His Spirit in my time of need. He becomes your God. Has He become your God? Has He really, have you fallen down on your face and truly wept to the point where He has come and shown up in your life? See, the power of Jesus showing up is everything. There's nothing that happens, there's nothing that gives life until Jesus shows up in your life. Abraham was a man that uh, was, was birthed around the region of, of Babylon. It was uh, essentially like modern-day New York. Um, heathenistic, greed, wealth capital of the world, uh, paganism, you name it. That's, that's what Babylon was. And the Lord showed up in that place and spoke, spoke to, to Abraham and called him out. Verse uh, chapter Genesis 15, verse 1, um, it says, After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. Going on to verse 5. It says, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars as if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So the Lord shows up, speaks a word. He releases life into Abraham. Abraham believed it. Leave this city. Go down this path. Follow this way. And I'll make you a great nation. Inside of what the living God spoke to him was life, was living water. It washed him. It completely changed him. It gave him life in the midst of desolation. In the midst of, 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 a, of, a, of a whole region of the world, actually the whole world at that time, was in utter darkness. Right? So Jesus, the living God, shows up and gives life. And the funny thing is about this, if you go to, uh, if you go to Galatians 3.8, it says that the Word, Jesus, the Gospel of Christ, was preached to Abraham in that one promise. The gospel of, of Jesus Christ was preached to Abraham long before Jesus came in the flesh. Is, does that mess with your mind? That's what was written. The gospel. Wait a minute. Jesus didn't come till like 2,000 years ago. But the gospel, the Word of God says the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached to Abraham. Abraham believed it and it made him righteous. That kind of messes with my theology. That kind of blows your mind. You mean the gospel, everything about the kingdom of God came to Abraham when the word of God, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, came to, came to Abraham and spoke and said, I'll make you a great nation. And all Abraham had to do is believe what this living God said to him? You mean Abraham didn't have to go back to the ancient writings of Enoch or any of the other guys and try to make what they had written and follow the rules that they had, all those scriptures and different things that were written in ancient times? No. 
The living God spoke one thing. The gospel was released. The gospel of Jesus Christ was released to Abraham before Jesus even came. Don't think on that too long. That'll mess up your head. It'll actually bring you to faith. See, Abraham was given his promise. He's given vision. And he believed, and it made him righteous. We kind of jumped on this theme last night, and it, made, it, it, it simplified everything he had to do. No longer is there a written list of rules and everything that is, is contained in the Bible. Your mind then becomes resting on seeking and being led by the Spirit of God. Where he's, where he's taking you, where He's leading you, what He's saying to you. And the, and, the, and the Bible then becomes a guidance document recognized as a love letter. Prophecy needs to line up with the Bible, but the Bible cannot be your God. If you make the Bible your God, how, how do you know what to do in the specific time and specific place of your, of your life? In the season that you're in, how do you know what to do? Do you make your own decisions? Do you go to the Bible? You know, the Bible, um, as it's written, can be, it's like a dead clock. You know, a dead clock is right twice a day. For, for two moments out of the day, it's right. The written Bible, in your self-interpretation, you can go down through there and pick out Scriptures, and it can, you, you're trying to apply this Scripture here and that Scripture there, and none of it really makes sense because you're self-interpreting, self-defining, and self-applying what is written. Because you prevented, you, you have not sought the Lord. When you seek the Lord, when, you, when, when the Bible becomes a secondary reference point, and you're, you speak to the living God, and the living God guides you and takes you to a Scripture and say, this is, here, this is where you are, and you need to do this in that situation. Life is brought to you. See, this hits home because this is, what is, this is, this is the religion that sits on this region of the world. And it separates you from your self-diagnosis, your self-reliance. You think you're, a, you're, you're functioning according to the living God and you're, you're this amazing Christian, but you self-diagnose, you self-medicate, you self-evaluate using the Bible as, well, this is what the Bible said here, this is what the Bible said, this, this is what the Bible said here, but you didn't go to Him to find out which Scripture applies into which situation. You didn't go to Him to find out what to do over here and what to do over there. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, when David was made king, it says that the Philistines rallied against him. And David sought the Lord. And in seeking the Lord, the Lord said, go down into the valley and go around in front of the mulberry trees. And I will prepare you to win the battle. Okay? David does exactly what the Lord says. He goes down. They annihilate the Philistines because he listened to the Lord's voice. A year later, the Philistines, in the same chapter, verse, or chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines rally again. They come back and they try to conquer David again. And David could have could have made what was spiritual religious. He could have said, well, I fought the Philistines in the same valley before, so I'm going to do the exact same thing. 
And he could have went down there in, 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 the, in the same exact path and process that he did before. And he could have taken a chance, but that would have been a religious act. He could have made what was spiritual a routine. But what he did was, again, he got on his knees and he sought the Lord. And when he sought the Lord, the Lord said, this time go behind the mulberry trees. And when he led his army behind the mulberry trees, he went out and it says that the angel annihilated the Philistines before he even set foot on the battlefield. Same fight, same enemy, same place, different strategy. It came from a living God. So how do you live your life? How do you walk on the path of righteousness? What made Abraham righteous? He believed what God said. So from that point on, he sought the Lord to, to get direction on where to go, how to do it, when to do it. He lived by the Spirit. Is, any, is everybody all right? Huh? You guys, you guys still alive? You still kicking? Everybody take a deep breath. <gasps> going to be okay it's going to be okay because when you hear something like this this is designed to get you to a point of recognition oh my gosh i live my life for the most part thinking i'm spiritual because i come into a spiritual environment i raise my hands i even believe in the holy ghost i even believe in some of this laughter stuff but i need to hear the lord for my life some of you are walking around the exact same mountain doing the exact same thing you were doing 10 years ago thinking you were spiritual when you're not actually spiritual. You're actually in a continued routine of following and self-interpreting what the Bible says. But it's the living God that will lead you down the path of righteousness. And it is His voice is the only thing that makes you righteous. What He says, the seed, inside that seed is life. It produces a tree. It has the ability to reproduce life. It includes annihilating your enemy. It includes destroying the curse that has haunted your family. What he said. If you believe all life is in what he said, you'll seek him with all your heart. You'll not worry about doing these religious acts and having to read 10 chapters a day and reading the Bible in a year. And it's you, you, there's times where you have to have the Bible as a reference point and understand the ways and learn the things of God. But the way you live your life is according to His voice. And the way you read the Bible is you sit down and say, okay, Lord, what does this mean? Does it apply to my life in any way? You begin to talk to the Lord like that and you begin, it'll mess your whole life up because in the middle of the night, He'll begin waking you up and say, you know that question you asked me? This is what it means. You know that question you asked me? This is, this is how you go about dealing with this person. You know that question you asked me? I'm here with you. My arm is around you. You have nothing to fear. Fear not. This is your word, Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. That's when the Bible comes alive. Not when you sit down and self-diagnose and work through what you feel comfortable with. It's when you fall on your face and you say, Lord, you are the living water. You are the one that gives life. And speak to me now, Lord, because what you say will intoxicate me. Will you let him fill the em empty, empty drum with water and let him make that water intoxicating? That's how you become intoxicating. You become intoxicating because you have a word from the Lord. 
Because everywhere you walk, you recognize, oh my gosh, fill my, I'm, I'm right now seeking, Lord, I'm seeking your living water. I know that when the vessel is filled with water, you'll make that water intoxicating. And you'll give life, not only to me, but to the situation that you've called me to step into. Everybody with me? That's pretty cool stuff. That confronts the very live religion that most of us in this region of the world have grown up with. Just come to church, check the box, enter worship, and it creates in you an attitude of, well, I need to go to church. I need to go to church because I haven't been there last week. That's religious. It has nothing to do with knowing them. That's religious. That's like the Pharisee. I know I'm saying it with a smile because that's pretty heavy stuff, but until you recognize that some of you have lived your life as a Pharisee, as a Sadducee, they knew what the Word said. I'm re- I go to church five days a week. But how do you live your life? How does your next step get positioned? How, how, how do you go to the side when you should have been moving forward? Or how do you go backwards when you should have been moving to the side? Self-diagnose. Everybody all right? (laughs) See, all faith is inside of what he says. You cannot create faith on your own. You cannot create love on your own. You cannot create ability on your own. That's why self-diagnosing in the Word is worthless. You might as well throw that Bible away. Unless you're going to fall on your face and cry out to Him and expect Him to talk to you and you ask Him questions. Fall on your face. Throw the Bible away. It'll totally shift how you see the Bible. The Bible is a reference point, a love letter. It's not your God. He's your God. He's four, five, six, seven, eight dimensional. He is all things to all men in all places. There is nothing that is without his view, without his voice, without, there's nothing. That's why Paul was convinced in the, in the end of Romans 8. He said, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angel, or demon, nor power, nor principality, not anything future or before, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ because I met this living God and I know when I talk to Him, He speaks to me. And when He speaks to me, everything around me changes. He changes my position. He changes my heart. He equips me. He clothes me. He moves me. And then He sends me. You're not meant to stay in this exact same place for the next 15 years. This is a launching pad. This is a launching pad. This is an orchard. Those who believe the seed that's spoken directly to you, you become a tree of life. And people begin to come and take fruit off of you. You're a tree of life. This is a launching pad. This isn't just a regular church. This isn't just a regular place where you come in and go through the same routine and wonder if there's going to be an outpour today. Man, I wonder if the worship team and that Steve guy, he's, he's kind of freaky, but I like the way it feels in there. Huh? Feels kind of good. It doesn't feel like this. I don't get the tinglys anywhere else. Huh? Come on. Are you alive right now or are you dead? You can sit in church, even in a spirit-filled church, and be a dead man because you don't seek to hear His voice. There's only one thing that makes a man righteous. Deliverance can't come without righteousness. You cannot have a devil cast out of you and be made righteous. But if you seek His face, 
and he speaks to you, it says his word, everything he speaks contains all things needed and it will drive everything out of you. Righteousness is before deliverance. Deliverance is before the promise. Promise is the place where the tree becomes fruitful. You want to enter promise? Seek deliverance. You want deliverance? Seek righteousness, which is by hearing Him. Is it that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. You hear His voice. And see, don't go blaming God for you not hearing His voice right now. Because His Bible says that Afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Young men will dream dreams. Old men will see visions. And the maidservants will prophesy. That means that he poured out his spirit. It's offered to all of you. In the Old Testament, there was a select few. He came, the word of God, the living God, Jesus, only came to a select few. But when Christ became flesh and he took sin to the grave, he became a doorway to allow all of you to hear his voice. And when you hear His voice, you, just like Abraham, have the power to become righteous, to become fruitful, and to become a force on this earth. Is it as simple as me? You mean I have to literally let myself go? I have to deny myself, fall on my face, and expect Him to speak to me to lead my life? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's His voice. How did the Lord create? How did He create? In the beginning, right? The Spirit hovered over the waters. The voice was released and light came and the darkness scattered. Could darkness stay when the light, when the Word was spoken? When the Word was spoken, the darkness could not stay because the light invaded it. Right? Invaded by the light. Is it as simple as hearing this living God's voice and the darkness around me has to flee? Oh, come on, man. Come on. Is it as simple as you mean I, all I have to do is go downstairs and begin to pray in this spiritual language and he's going to show up and there's going to be vision and prophetic utterance. And you mean an angel can come and send a message to me or lay his hand on me? Yeah. You don't expect that? Dude, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I literally set my alarm for three or four in the morning. I would go get my coffee and I would literally run down steps and I would begin to pray in the Spirit, salivating because He was so real. And He would come and begin to... He'd actually take me to the Bible and say, you know what this means? You know what that says? You know what this says? And He, he taught me the Bible. No, there wasn't any... any whatever, any organization or, or group or whatever, Jesus taught me the Bible. He, he spoke to me. That, that's, that's why um, th- this, this message is kind of confronting, but the only way this message can be brought is by somebody who truly believes that there is no other way. You cannot read that Bible and be righteous. Don't fool yourself. I want, to, I want to strengthen your confidence in what He says to you. You need to be so confident that when you get a word from God, it is specific, it's in time, it is in season, and it has purpose. It contains all faith, all ability, everything you need for the time and situation and for you to enter your destiny. In uh, John 1, verse 14 to 17, 
It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law given through Moses was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? The Word. How's Jesus known in heaven? As the Word. It came through Jesus Christ, the Word. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. That, that, that is everything you need. The definition of grace is God-given ability to do what you alone cannot do. Okay? That's, what real, that's a real definition of grace. Ability given by God for you to do what you cannot do alone. Truth is a vision. Truth is uh, giving you a reality of the situation that is far different than your current circumstance. You're bound to a reality and a convincing that it's going to happen this way and it always goes downhill from here. It's always going to um, become a painful problem. But when the Lord begins to speak to you, He introduces to you a different reality. He gives you heaven's reality that contains your destiny for the situation you're in. He leads you. In Jesus Christ is all grace and truth. There's nothing you need outside of what He says. Your whole life should be centered around getting the next direction, the next word for your life. This may be, this may be a... And this, 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 may, this may mess up like the whole church's view, but your destiny of being a Christian is not coming to the next church service. <laughs> You need, to become, you need to be part of the body. But the essence of being a Christian should be you hear the voice of the Lord for yourself and then you begin to hear Him for those around you and together you come together as a church and you become mighty because when a person around you fails, when a brother can't carry the burden of the situation they're in, you remind them of their destiny because you're prophetic. And not only do you hear for yourself, you hear for them. And, a, and you, are not, you are not ending up walking this walk alone. You have a whole group of people who are prophetic that see through the reality of heaven and not through the reality of what you've been bound to on this earth. When you're bound to Christ, you walk as a man of power, a man of renown, a man of ability, because it's not you just walking. It's Him. It's His voice. Right? Right. You with me? See, your inheritance is inside of what He says. See, inside of Joshua was the wilderness, the conquering of giants. Inside of Joshua was Moses. The conquering of Pharaoh. Inside of Moses was Jacob, the man who wrestled with the angel and became Israel. Inside of Israel was Isaac. And inside of Isaac was the seed spoken to one man named Abraham. He birthed the nation. If you rest on that, if you would set your mind that all you need is to hear God for your life and believe that He has your best interest in hand. And it may not feel good what He's calling you to do, but what He speaks to you contains your destiny. It contains your inheritance, your future generations, the cities that you're supposed to go to. If you just hear them. All you have to do is hear them. I had a dream about a year ago. And then this dream, the Lord walked me down the steps of my basement into my office. And my office, um, 
is a decent size, and when you open the door, there's a space on the left that has a couch, and there's a, there's a, uh, there's a desk with a, a TV in the front where I hook my computer up to. And when I walked in, Jesus walked me in, and there was this woman sitting on the couch with a pen, and she's writing on a piece of paper. And Jesus turns to me and says, this is your great-great-grandmother, and you are the product of her vision. And he moved me over, he sat me down in the chair at my desk, and he turns and he took the vision that was written down on the paper from my great-great-grandmother, and he put it in front of me. And all of a sudden he laid his hand on me, and the television screen in front of me came alive. And I started to see crowds, I started to see churches, I started to see nations, I started to see um, platforms where I was standing in front of thousands of people. I started to see uh, families and my, my children's families. I started to see all these things. And the Lord says, write the vision. Prophesy, son. And as I'm, I'm in a dream, think of this, I'm in a dream. And I begin to, I remember the prophecy. I was prophesying about the nations that were calling my name and, and that, that my grandmother uh, spoke destiny over me that contains not only me but my wife and my children and my children's children and not only would I go to the nations but my children will go to the nations and I sat I was in a dream prophesying my destiny releasing what my great-grandmother put on paper now if you think about that long enough that'll mess you up see your destiny it's not a small thing to get a word from God It's not a small thing. Everything is contained inside of what He says. And you've got to have a picture of this invading force of Jesus Christ. See, it's not just a word. The word, you've got to have this picture of confidence. Turn with me to Revelation 19, verse uh, 10 through 16. Is everybody all right? Is there anybody here that says, you know what? I'm reordering my life. I'm, I'm setting my priority on hearing God. My prayer time, my morning wake up is the most precious thing I have. I can give my heart to Christ and it's, it, the Word says He'll speak to me. But you got to know what this is a picture. Revelation 19 is a picture of Jesus, the Word coming out of heaven and invading your soul. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Who's he making war against? Is it you? No. When the word of God invades you, when heaven opens, when you sit down in your prayer life and heaven opens, you've sat there expecting to hear the Lord. Heaven opens and this, this, this amazing king comes to wage war. He judges what is unrighteous. He judges evil. He judges your enemy. He makes war against your enemy. He releases upon you the reality of heaven. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had the name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The Living Word. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, allowed 
uh, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword that with it should, he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a picture of what happens when you get a prophetic word. When you hear God in a dream and a vision. Why was it there were so many bodies on the floor up here last night? Why was it that when you hear true prophecy, that it actually, this invading force, this living God on a white horse, the Word of God is actually invading your soul and reordering things, driving out depression, driving out the hurtful pain, driving out that woeful thought, that thing that you could not forgive. He's actually driving you. That's why the spirit of prophecy is so powerful. It's actually a release of the Word in heaven on earth, and it washes you like water. The prophecy this morning was that the water would wash. There's a, there's a washing of the water. That's what this weekend, the whole thing's about prophecy. The washing of the water of the Word is cleansing everything. It's cleansing away the, 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 the bad root systems and the dandelions and the weeds and everything that chokes out the Word that comes to life. It drives out your enemies. It drives out everything that's against you. It is for you and not against you. Jesus Christ is a weapon. He is for you. And that's why when you sing that God about the goodness of God, of recognizing that He is for you and not against you, that you begin to cry out for Him. He is not mad at you. You are no longer a hoe. Those of you who are in prostitution, you are no longer that sinner. You are no longer that broken, handcuffed person that couldn't get off drugs. You are no longer that, that abused uh, wife. You are no longer that unloved child. No longer. Because this invading force called the Word of God, the spirit of prophecy, is penetrating your soul and reordering you to believe Him, that He is your loving God, that He is for you and not against you. I don't know about you, but that excites me. That makes me want to, oh my God, how much more can I spend in your presence? How, what else do you have to say to me? Are there any other dreams that I'm missing? Can, can I just hear? Can you just download my whole life to me now? Because I want to know now. I don't want to waste any more time. I want to go where you're calling me to go because I got a revelation that if you speak to me, everything in my whole life changes when you speak Call me out of darkness. Call me out of Babylon. Take me to the place that contains my destiny where my seed will be planted and there will be fruit. Take me. What if, what if you just challenged the Lord like that and put an expectation that your confidence was in Him, your total confidence was in what He said, and you could declare like Paul said, neither death nor life, nor angel or demon, nor power, nor principality, nor anything present or anything future can separate me from the love of God because I've become one with this seed named Jesus Christ. There's nothing in this world that matters more than what you said, and nothing will come take it. There's no demon strong enough to take it. There's no darkness. There's no night season. There's no pain. In fact, the pain, any future pain, will fashion me more to become so much more deeper with what he said. I'll not let you go. I'll not let you go. Like, the, like Jacob wrestled with the angel. He became one with what the word of God said to him. And when he got up off the ground, he said, I no longer call you Jacob call you Israel because there's a nation inside of you. Man! 
Jesus! Jesus, my God! My God, my God! Are you kidding me? Do you know who you are? Do you know what He has called you to do? Where you're to go? Where are you going to be in two years? Where are you going to be in five years? Do you know? <laughs> Say this with me. Say, Lord. Thank you for washing me. Thank you for coming even in my ignorance and washing me. For invading my life. For invading my false confidence. <laughs> I repent for depending on me. <laughs> and I'm putting a demand on you, Jesus, to invade my life. You said that I was to tarry in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father was poured out on me. And I set my heart from this day forward and I will tarry till you speak to me continuously through dream, through vision, and through prophecy that my steps would be moved according to your voice. Jesus, I expect in the next weeks, days, and months that the darkness that I've accepted in my life, that you will invade me. You will drive out every demonic power with dreams, with vision, with ways that you invade my life. Jesus, take my hand. Lead me in the path of righteousness. Lead me to the impossible place. Make me a man of renown. Cause me to live again. Cause me to live in the reality of heaven. I just declare over you a release of the washing of the water of the word. I just declare over you that you are no longer bound by the root systems of evil. <sighs> Through the imprisonments of your forefathers, you are no longer bound by impossibility. In fact, I hear the Lord say that when I speak to you, I'll lead you into impossibility because I make simple men supernatural. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I release a season, a great season of dreams, vision, and prophecy in this house that will totally reorder the hearts of these people, that they will truly depend on you, that they will not be content in being a self-righteous fool, a dead man, a whitewashed tomb full of vipers, <laughs> full, of, full of hogs, full of dogs, and everything that Jesus said that a self-righteous man is. I refuse to be self-righteous. I refuse to be self-righteous. I refuse to be self-righteous. Lord, this day, 
Lord, this day, I pray for every person in here that they would truly pick up their cross, that they would deny themselves, that they would not take another step until they consult the Word, until they consult the One who holds the destiny of their children and their children's children. And Lord, just like You let me see that I was in the vision, I was in the heart of my great-great-grandmother as she prophesied of my destiny that I would be sent to the nations. Lord, I release that great expectation and that confidence that there are prophecies, there are dreams, there are visions being released into the hearts of these people, that they're just not regular content. I think the Lord's going to make you happy today things. Those are important. But I, be, I believe, Lord, and I, I pray for the release of supernatural, generational, impacting words, generational, impacting prophecy, and generational, regional, impacting uh, dreams and visions. Things, Lord, that would cause the, the, uh, the, the woeful and the weak in here, Lord, because you make the weak strong. Lord, I declare that these, the, the, the words you speak in here will cause men and women to run out of here and to begin to build impossible things. They'll build drug shelters. They'll, they'll, they'll build shelters for the homeless. They'll go out and, and not be worried about playing church, but they'll be worried about hearing your voice and executing your command. And a great army will be raised up from the simplicity of hearing the voice of the living God. And their testimony will be Not this great thing other than I heard God. God spoke. What did you expect? The darkness to contain me? When He spoke, He not only broke me out of prison, but He broke my generations out of prison. He broke my region out of prison because He spoke. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the School of the Holy Spirit. For more information or to request David at your church or conference, please go to davidcuppet.org. D-A-V-I-D-C-U-P-P-E-T-T dot O-R-G. You can also find the School of the Holy Spirit podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Charisma Magazine. For a deeper dive into the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to purchase David's new book, The Key of David, Experiencing the Voice of God, available on Amazon. We pray that you will encounter the Holy Spirit in a transforming way and become all that Christ has prophesied over your life. 